0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, here we are returning to our series, Counterculture. From the Sermon on the Mount, before we took a break from the Sermon on the Mount. We celebrated the first advent of the Lord Jesus, his coming, and we celebrated Christmas. And now we are returning back to the Sermon on the Mount. We took about eight weeks. We looked at the Beatitudes. Jesus said repeatedly to his disciples, to his followers, there's a blessedness, blessed are. Warren Wearsby gives this definition of what it means to be blessed. And I'm going to repeat it. I gave it before we went and took a little time out from this series. To be blessed implies an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that is independent of external circumstances for happiness. External circumstances, health, financial well-being, political shifts and chaos. Do we have that blessedness? If you're a follower of Christ, you do. Jesus' disciples are truly blessed blessed. We're blessed, but we're not exempt from suffering. Matter of fact, we're guaranteed suffering. The Lord Jesus promised that if we follow him, we will encounter suffering in this life. And how we respond to suffering is what separates us and makes us distinctly different than those who don't know Christ. So it makes us salt and light. Two simple illustrations come from today's message. They're everywhere. They're common: salt and light. This is what Jesus says his followers are. What does it look like? As far as the character of the Christian, this is what we said when we studied the Beatitudes. He said, "There's blessed are the poor in spirit." The disciples of Jesus. This is what they say: I have nothing. I'm spiritually bankrupt. We mourn over our sin. That is a personal sin, my sin, the sins of my family and the world. This is how we feel. We are meek. This is how we think. We don't think highly, uh, abundantly highly of ourselves. We're not filled with pride and arrogance, but we say the same thing about us that God says. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. This is what we pursue in this life. We are the merciful, blessed are the merciful. This is how we respond. And mercy is that we see someone in need and we don't walk by on the other side. We engage, we get involved. This is how we respond. We're pure in heart. This is how we function. And we're peacemakers. We're not peace fakers, we're not peace breakers. What we do is we make for peace, we pursue peace even with people that we disagree with. We're peacemakers. And Jesus says, and we would think that that kind of a person, wouldn't that person be welcomed by the world? Wouldn't that person be just applauded of, these are are peacemaking people, these are wonderful people. No, he said, now get ready for persecution. Expect persecution. This is what we expect. And so what do we do? Last Sunday's message, we embrace human responsibility and we rest in the sovereignty of God, knowing he's sovereign over all times, all places, and all peoples. And this is how we are light and how we are salt. This message is given in the context of persecution. We have to know this and we have to remember this. This is why we're countercultural. This is why we don't go with the flow. Ginger and I watched something the Disney film about uh, the, the, the salmon migrating upstream, and they sometimes have to wait for the waters to come, and then the waterfalls are just pounding those massive fish, and in, the, in that waterfall going over, the, there's the fish, and they finally have water, and they just make their way back to where they spawn, and they will wait for it, and they go against the flow counter to the tide. That's what we're to be as followers of Christ. We live countercultural. So it's my prayer that today, what we have just heard, that everyone will hear, understand, and then put into practice, into obedience, the message of our King. And so Jesus, in this text, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, is where we're going to be today. There's two illustrations, all right, salt and light, and one application. Two illustrations that we're never going to get away from. Salt and light, and one application. Matthew chapter 5, beginning there at verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. May this message and our response bring glory to our Father in heaven. This morning, what has God graciously given to every single follower of Christ? To every person who has turned from their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've received the gift of salvation, then they have received these three areas from the Lord graciously. First of all, a distinct identity. A distinct identity. This is who we are as disciples. We have to know who we are if we're going to know what we're supposed to do. Jesus is here not telling his disciples to become something that they are not. He's not telling them to be something that they are not. He's saying this is who you are. You have to understand your identity, disciples of Christ. And in the context of trials and in the context of suffering... Christians will stand out. They'll be different. There's something distinct about them. And they'll be recognized. Their influence will manifest as salt and light because of their identity, their character. Jesus said, My disciples, you're salt. He said, You're the salt of the earth. Uh, salt has a positive influence and a negative influence to the entire earth. Doesn't matter where you go, it's universal. Salt is basically, it's small when it's usable and it's insignificant, okay? As long as it's in the shaker, it doesn't really do you any good, okay? It has to come out of the shaker. So in both of these illustrations, the Lord is saying, you actually have to spend yourself for others, for the glory of God. This isn't about, I'm going I'm to batten down the hatches and keep my whole life dear and near to me, This is a call to invest your life into that which is eternally significant. For salt to become good, it has to be. You don't want a chunk of salt. You know, here's your burger, here's your fries, here's a block of salt. All right, we're not deer. We don't want to lick the salt block and then take a bite of food. We want salt in measurable, small pieces so that we put it on the food and it spreads out because that's one of its usefulness is for seasoning, taste, bring out the taste. Right? Well, can't really go anywhere in Michigan inside a restaurant right now, but when we when they reopened. Restaurants had modified inside. They had taken all the things off the tables to try to help, you know, stop the spread of the virus. So you're sitting there and they hand you your food and then you're looking around, and you're like, wait a second, I'm missing the ketchup, I'm missing the I'm missing salt. Can I please have some salt? Can I please have pepper? I need seasoning on the food. Sure, we'll bring that right out to you. But I'm glad they didn't bring me a big rock salt. Salt is important. It's for seasoning. You remember uh, this stuff? No salt. I remember when this came out, all right, for the heart healthy, those who need to have, you know, uh, this is not always good for your heart, too much. So you have the no salt. Now, I told the first service, there was a, the first time I ever had southern green beans was when we moved to wisconsin From Montana. We're northern northerners, right? And we went to the Faulkner's house and she made green beans with whatever else and she put ham in those green beans. And she was from Mississippi. And I took a bite of those. They looked so good. And I I was looking, I was seeing some things in the green beans that I wasn't familiar with, you know, all the fat and all that stuff. And I took a bite of the green beans and it was like immediately water, quick, you know, I need water. It was so much salt filled those green beans. But she was from the South. To her, that was perfect. That was good. Everybody else is bland. You don't have enough seasoning in there. She had the seasoning, one part pig, one part green bean, one part salt. And that was, that was the way she did it. I guess if you were going to eat in her table, you were going to learn that was going to be the way, and you're going to enjoy it. That's probably not what Jesus has in mind primarily in this illustration. You are the salt of the earth. Preservation. That's a usefulness of the salt. It's preserving. So before they had refrigerators and freezers, how will you save the catch out of the lake? Salt. You go out, hunt down deer, whatever the meat is, you pack it in salt and it will preserve. It will stop or slow down the decay, the decaying process of meat. So when Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, that's what he has in mind, that all over the entire earth, I'm going to send my people, and you are going to help slow down the decay of societies everywhere. Your salt. Preservation. For ancient cultures and for many cultures today that don't have refrigeration, your ability to hang on to, preserve, have meat, is your ability to feed your family. So it isn't arbitrary. If you want, for a season coming, to have food to feed your family and them not starve and die, you needed salt. It wasn't optional of, well, I can improve the taste or not. It was essential to have salt for preservation. And I just wonder how many churches who have lost the plot of the gospel, the Lord Jesus would say, you know what that church is? No salt. God help us to never become that type of a church. So I'm just gonna ditch that, all right? Get that out of the way. We don't wanna be that. We wanna be salt. We wanna be light. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, all right? So when salt became worthless it was cast out Jesus said it would be cast out it's worthless they would put it on uh, housetops they would put it on dung piles they would put it on roadways it was really worthless you don't ever want that on your food so it was just cast out it was thrown thrown aside and Jesus is saying if you don't have if you don't if you're not salty There's something wrong because salt, in its truest form, can't lose its saltiness because it's salt. It's what it does. So he's making a point that it would be foolish. When he says it's lost its taste, it's the same uh, terminology as it would be foolish. It's foolish to have salt that isn't salty. It's foolish to say I'm a disciple, but I'm not following and obeying Christ to lose savor. We're separated out of this world to live in the world for an eternal purpose. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, the Christian is a separate, unique, outstanding kind of individual. There is to be in him something which marks him out and which is to be obvious and clearly recognized. Let every man then and every woman examine himself. Is there something different about you? Is there something that makes you stand out? Now, I know, I'm looking at people, some of you are different, all right? You could say the same thing about me. Well, you're different. We are different, but Jesus has in mind there's something salty about our lives that make people thirsty for the gospel, that make people thirsty for the one that we worship. Disciples of the Lord Jesus will make a difference in this world we live in, and we will avoid two extremes. The first extreme is this. We will not buy into the false notion that the world is basically good, you know, that somewhere inside of you is is goodness. No, I don't know about you, but the further I dig in, the worse it gets. The only thing good about me is Jesus. So the world is not, contrary to the evolutionary theory, it is not getting better. You don't buy a car, and in 10 years, it's better than when you bought it. It all decays. It all goes downhill. It gets worse. But we don't buy into the notion that the world is basically good, and people are basically good, and it's their environment that is what's bad. Well, tell that to Adam and Eve, and their first son was a murderer. Okay? History? History? And truth, do not support those claims. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 18, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. And that's why we're here, is that they would come to know the one who sent the son, the one who has saved us. So we don't believe that the world is basically good, nor do we believe there's the other side, and that is the other ditch, that is the world is evil, and the world is horrible, and everything is wrong, and there's nothing good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to find a mountain. We're going to find a desert, and we're going to all go move out there, and we're going to live in this really sanctified community of good people. You can't take any people with you. You take one person, and you've messed up that community. We're here for a reason. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he talks about the person who is like, you know what, I'm a Christian, and I don't associate with those wicked people. You just hear it in conversation of legalistic people or, who are oversaved and think that they are you know, the greatest thing and how they talk about people who are different than they are. Sinners, and they look down their nose at them. Jesus didn't do that. But Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians five nine. he said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. Corinthians, I was talking about people who say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian too, and their life has nothing to do with Christ there's a problem there. He said, I wasn't telling you to not associate with people who don't know Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what God has left us here for. Otherwise, we'd have to go out of the world. When Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. What did he pray about? What was his concern? John 17, verse 15, he said, I do not ask that you, he's talking to the Father in heaven, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They, his disciples, children of God, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you hear what Jesus prayed? He did not pray that we have a life of no troubles, no sorrows, that we just, you know, pray, receive the gift of salvation, and then, oh, the stairway to heaven, and angels usher me in, and I didn't do anything wrong, and this is glorious, I'm out of here. No. If you're alive... If you're living, your heart is beating, and you are breathing, you are here for a reason. What is that reason? What is that purpose? Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way, he said, Christians whose lives exhibit the qualities of the blessed will have a preserving impact upon a society that, if left to itself, will rot and deteriorate. Without the influence of the gospel, society will suffer moral decay and become putrid, unfit for the consumption of good men and women. Sounds a bit like our nightly news, doesn't it? Like decay is setting in. So, are we going to sit here in the church and indict the world for being the world, or are we going to be salt? And light. It's a relevant message, don't you think? It's a convicting message, don't you think? That Jesus is saying, Hey, are you salt and light? If you are my disciple, you are salt and light. If you're not my disciple, you can't be salt and light until you trust in the Lord. Disciples are salt, disciples are light. That's the second illustration. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Disciples are salt, disciples are light. Light is common, salt is common. Light was the first thing created by God. Let there be, Genesis 1-3, light, and there was light. The gospel of John opens, sounding in a similar way as Genesis opens, in the word, in the beginning was the word. And he talks about the light that has come from God and this light in darkness. And it wasn't John. John was pointing to the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, many of us, have rarely been in a situation where there wasn't electricity and light. Now, if you go up in the UP, or if you go out in, you know, I grew up in Montana, you can get places where there's no ambient light from cities nearby. In our area, you see the lights of, of the city of Detroit, they just, they just kind of bounce off the clouds. If there's a cloud cover, and just glows. You look over to Canada, same thing. I'm not sure always what's glowing over there, but it's glowing over there, right? factories or whatever it may be until if you remember it was 03 or 04 and the power grid failed and all the lights went out and emma was at a birthday party and i had to go pick her up and it was only it was less than a mile away i knew how to get there it was in warren and as i began to drive it was the darkness was oppressive It's like my lights wouldn't even hit the stop signs and street signs. I had to get up like, oh, there is a stop sign there and had to focus and concentrate my eyes to say, where am I? There's nothing giving me any familiar signs as to I'm on this block, this street, this corner. There was no light anywhere. Do you remember that? If you were here, you remember that. Grid was down. Maybe you've been to a, a cave, mammoth cavern or... I went in Montana. There's the Lewis and Clark Caverns. What do they do? Missouri, there was a cavern. They bring you all the way down into the lowest part of the cave, and somebody tell me, what do they do? They shut the lights off. They prepare you. Everybody stand your ground. Don't move. We are going to turn the lights out. They turn the lights out, and it's almost like you can touch the darkness. It's so thick. If you had this one light in that cave, Everybody in the cave would uh, a little sigh of relief because this one light in a cave with no other light gives off that presence, that glow, that I'm not alone. They didn't leave me down here. They didn't abandon me and sneak out, and I'm the last one, and they turn the lights on. Christmas Eve service, we started right down here, one candlelight, and it goes throughout And it's dark outside and we're reminded how we have a responsibility and a joy and a privilege to let our light shine. Jesus uh, understood, his hearers, they understood what it was to be in total darkness. The value of one candle in a house out in the main room on a candlestick They understood when he talks about a city on a hill. I think about Lord of the Rings and there's Helm's Deep, that city that's built into the side of the hill. What is it made of? Limestone. There's not a light in the city. There's no electricity. There's some torches and there's some glowing. But what really stands out on the night horizon is all of the limestone and the moon and the stars, they reflect and they, they make that limestone. That entire city glows. So that if you're a traveler, if you're out, if you're a shepherd, if you're out in the, in the lowlands and you look and you see the city is there, safety is there. If we can get inside those gates, inside those walls, we will find safety. Do you see the connection of what Jesus is saying about his people as salt and light and like a city on a hill that the people that we interact with wherever we go throughout the week... Do they see us as a way to safety? Do they see us as a way to a message of salvation because there's something distinctively different about our identity, who we are? Light is essential. We can't live without light. Don Carson, he says, light is a universal religious symbol. In the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, it most frequently symbolizes purity as opposed to filth, truth or knowledge as opposed to error or ignorance, and divine revelation and presence as opposed to reprobation and abandonment by God. Light, darkness, children of the light, children of darkness, these are pitted against each other to be children of the light. Light is beneficial. Light helps us see what is good, but light also helps us see what is bad. If you go to the dentist, they pull down that light. If you go into an OR, operating room, they're gonna pull down that light. You want them to have bright light, right? You don't want them like, oh, hang on, that's all right. No, we don't need any more light. I got this. I'm pretty good with my, yep. Yep. Going in for eye surgery. Yeah, there's the eyeball. I think that's the eyeball. Yep, that's the eyeball. All right, hand me something. Doesn't matter. You want light. You want that doctor to see everything they're doing precisely. Yeah, but if you're at the dentist, it may show you have a cavity. That's bad. But you want to get that thing out of there because it gets worse if it's left to decay. When Jesus walked this earth, his white-hot holiness took all of those who were around who were religious leaders, and the people thought, oh, they are amazing, they are wonderful. Oh, if I could only be like Rabbi so-and-so. Oh, if I could only pray like them. Oh, if I could only do it. And then Jesus walked in, and they were like, whoa! Your holiness, righteousness, purity, it makes these religious leaders pale in comparison. And the religious leaders weren't happy about that. They didn't rejoice in being exposed as hypocrites. John 8 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. Of life. That's Irfan's ministry, light of life. Corey's ministry, focus, light. It's what the world needs, it's light. It's the light of the gospel, John 3.19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. Here's the problem. And people loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were... Evil, their works were evil. They wanted to do what they wanted to do and not have anyone tell them differently. Jesus' disciples will follow their Lord's example. They will shine the light for the benefit of all who are around them. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And that confused me. Wait a second, is he the light or am I the light? Here's the point. While he walked in this world, he was and is the light. And he departed and he ascended and he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit lives in every true disciple. And those disciples are now the light of the world to be spread out through the entire world. Paul writes, Philippians 2.15 To believers, to disciples, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. (laughs) He didn't know what 2020 and 2021 were going to be like, all right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see the hopefulness there? We're not out of here. 2,000 years ago, you are living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. What do you think we're living in? We're the same. The heart is the same. We just have more ways to express that until you get deleted or canceled. But God knows all things. He knows what's hidden. You shine as lights in the world. Well, we've been given a distinct identity. That's the heavy lifting of this sermon, salt and light. Okay, well, what then is our mission? It's defined mission. We've been given this, graciously given a distinct identity, but we've also been given a defined mission. So we as followers of Christ, we don't have to come up with something. Let's, let's think of it. What do we do in 2021? Here's what we do. Don't panic. We pray. We get in the word, we ask for God's help, and we shine the light, and wherever we go, we be salt, because that's who we are. Be salt and light. In the same way, verse 16 says, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. Let your light shine. Remember the song, Kids church or Sunday school or by this little light of mine, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, who's ever gonna do that? Wait till middle school. (laughs) Wait till high school. Wait till university campus. Wait till you get on a job site. And what's the temptation? Hide it. But if you're a follower of Christ, you can't. That would be foolish. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. So, so here's our, our mission. Shine your light individually, okay? This comes down to embrace the, this joy and privilege. You have a, a responsibility. You've been invited into this mission. You. Like, oh, I don't know enough of the Bible. Ha, let your light shine. Well, I've got a lot of questions. Let your light shine. You think I have all the answers? no. See me in 20 years. I still won't have all the answers, should God tarry. Okay, so let your light shine individually. Know who you are. Salt will do what salt does. Light will do what light does. It can't help it. Disciples will do what disciples do. That's what Jesus is saying, in the same way. Or so let your light shine. Just like light does what light does and salt does what salt does, if you are a disciple, you will do what a disciple does, and you will shine the light and you will be salty. A true disciple, have you heard the phrase, you know, well, just fake it till you make it. That's what you got to do. Just fake it till you make it. That's nowhere in the Bible, okay? Nowhere. And it's not really helpful, and it's not true, Christianity has nothing to do with blessing, hypocrisy, and and fake people. Plenty of fake people. But God sees through it all. He's not fooled for one second. How are we then tested to reveal what is true and what did I think was true? Introduce trials and testing. That's what That's what sifts through what's genuine and what is not genuine, what is authentic and what is fake. James, the half-brother of Jesus, chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It comes through trials. So we can rejoice in the midst of trials and we don't need to give thanks for the trial, but we can give thanks to God that he is doing something in our lives in every trial. Amen? We have an individual Shine your light. If you're a child of the one true king, your identity will become clearer and clearer to all who live with you and around you and work with you. So let me ask you the question Do you see individually, you, do you see an authentic witness in you? Do you have a desire to let your light shine? Do you have a desire to be used like salt? I pray that you do. If not, I pray that you would open your heart to the gospel today. Shine your light corporately. That's our mission. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not out there somewhere. You're part of a body of believers. You're part of a church. And so when you put these lights together like we did on Christmas Eve, one light becomes two, becomes 10, becomes 20, becomes 50. Then the room starts getting hotter. The room is bright, right? And wax drips in all the fun that happens with that. But that's what happens when it all gets gathered together and it's collective. It produces a brighter light. That's what we're supposed to be as a church. So that they may see your good works. Our good works demonstrate saving faith and God's sovereign grace. In all of it, Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. He says, This is uh, where he talks about the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may may boast. So we're not saved by works, but verse 10 says we're saved for good works, for we are his workmanship. You, if you are in Christ, you're his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works. You're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's all grace. We're saved by grace. Grace. We walk in grace. We've been graced to grace others. We've been forgiven. For, that's a horrible use. Of We've been forgiven to forgive. We've been loved to show love. Just, all the English teachers just panicked right there. Like ah, listen to what Calvin says. I guarantee you, he didn't say forgive. All right. Again, he says we must observe how graciously God deals with us when He calls the good works ours. The entire praise of which would justify, justly be ascribed to himself. I want you to understand what he's saying. Some of you, maybe when you were a kid or you've had children and they wanted to fix breakfast for mom or fix breakfast for dad, and they're like, oh, okay, and they're this big, and you strap on the apron and you go with them into the kitchen. And they make mess after mess after mess. And you basically cook the meal and they walk it into the bedroom. Look what I made for you. And if you are a parent who is demonstrating the character of our Father in heaven, you don't say, actually, I did like 99% of the work and have all the cleanup back there. You stirred the pancakes and then dropped the mixer and I got to clean that mess up too. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your meal. Okay. Do you see how God is a good father and Jesus is expressing that people will see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven and a father in heaven that is happy to rejoice in him using you and rightly, all the praise belongs to him. If anything good happens in through my life, in my family, to this church family, it's only grace. It's God's grace. I have nothing to boast in. I have a lot of regrets. But if anything good happens, it's because of Jesus and his grace and his goodness. Let your light, shine. Men will see your good works, and they'll give glory to the Father in heaven. This is amazing. Our good works, they're what are needed for those around us, because those around us, they're, God's not going to show up on your job tomorrow. Jesus is not going to walk in person where you go to school this week. He has you there, and he has me there. And when people see and they listen to us talk, they should see a representative bearing the image of a redeemed person, a disciple, and it should make them thirsty for what we have and who we worship. This is what Paul was writing in Romans 12 to the church at Rome. This is his heart captured that we would be on mission I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, do not, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we're doing here. We're testing Everything by the word of God, all of our passions, all of our emotions, all of our frustration tested by scripture that we can prove what is it that we should say and what is it that we should do and what is our responsibility as citizens and what is our responsibility as a church because they're very different. You have a responsibility to vote as a citizen. As a church, we are primarily and forever we will be devoted to the gospel. And whenever people try to take a pastor and turn a pastor into a political puppet, you have just betrayed the gospel. And I love you and I will not by God's grace ever do that. Do I care what's happened this week? Absolutely. Do I care more what will happen to the souls of the people in the Trump, 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 Trump forever, as if he's near unto Jesus Himself? If I see another one of the lion and the lamb posted with Trump's picture on it, or I am the way that the truth and the life with Trump's picture, God help me. That's blasphemy. How do we relate to those who are Black Lives Matter? And you put these on the polar, we care about the souls of all people, and it's the gospel, beloved. It's the gospel that changes the heart. It does us no good to take somebody from one political camp and put them in the other political camp if they don't know Christ and they die and they spend a crisis eternity in a place called hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. What have we done? What have we gained? What have we profited? Salt and light. It's desperately needed. What will be the divine outcome? That's what we wanna know. We've been given a distinct identity. We've been given a definite mission. I wanna know what's gonna happen. If we live on mission as a church, if we understand who we are as in Christ and we live out that mission, then tell us, Jesus, what is going to be the outcome? they will give glory to your father in heaven. That's the result. There will be, first of all, curiosity. Some people are going to be like, what what are you talking about? What does this mean? Why are you different? Why why are you dealing with cancer or dealing with a deadly disease and you're not cursing God and you're not hating God? What's different about you? be salty first peter 3 verse 14 but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor christ the lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone listen to this now who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you is anybody asking us that hey can can you tell me about the hope you have Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You disagree with somebody? With gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Let God let God hand out the judgment. And may He show mercy as he has shown mercy to me, as He has shown mercy to you. There will be curiosity. There will be conviction. People will be convicted. You, you bring a, a person who's righteous into a room and suddenly the conversation, huh, never, mind, never mind, later, I'll tell you later. You know what I'm talking about? It's going to change, it's going to shift. Like, oh, preacher man's here. Like, I'm not a preacher. Oh, here comes the deacon. Here comes the, you know, oh, here comes the saint. There's going to be conviction. When Jesus lived, he preached, he served, gave his life, there were two responses. Some received him. Some rejected him. Same will be for you and me. You cast the seed of the gospel, there will be some who will receive it and believe. There will be some who say, get the out of here and don't ever talk to me about that again. And they will curse you out and they will unfriend you, disown you. We've had people in our church, this has happened. Their families don't want to hear it. Don't talk about religion There will be conviction, but there will be some who will believe, and they'll say, you know what? Will you tell me again? Tell me that story of Jesus. And there will be, praise the Lord, conversions. Some people will believe. Some people will fall down in their tracks, on their face, before the Lord and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they will receive the gift of salvation, and they will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will believe how many? I, I don't know. How effective will we be? I don't know. The Lord is sovereign over that. We shine the light. He's the one who gives conversions. So shine the light. First Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, your good works. Sounds like Peter was listening when Jesus was preaching and they will, let me tell you what they'll do, glorify God on the day of visitation. They'll be ready because they knew you, because God placed you in their life, and you were salt, and you were light, and their eternity is changed, and they weren't ready to meet Christ, and now they are or will be ready to meet Christ. J.K. Chamlin, he says this, if what the disciples really are is clearly to be seen, nonbelievers will glorify the heavenly Father by becoming his children. Can he save me? Yes, he saved me. He can save you. Is there room for me at this table? Yeah, room for me in this family? You don't know all I've done? Yeah, God does. And Jesus died and he died for you. Turn from your sin and trust him. James Boyce, he says this. He says, God uses the small things and the small people. God uses you and me that he might do his work in the world. As a matter of fact, the smaller you can become, think about this, if, is this, is, this is upside down. The smaller you can become, the more effective his work in you will be. Doesn't that make sense with this right here? Salt, salt dissolved into food Permeates the food. The salt is not saving myself, my, my life, my. No, no. I'm here to be used, poured out. Do you see your identity as, a, as salt and light? Do you understand your mission? Praise God for his grace that will give a divine return and outcome of people coming to faith in Christ. We're gonna baptize the final Sunday of this month. There are people who have come to faith in Christ. They're ready to take that step of obedience. We're going to have a class on the 23rd, 10 o'clock, uh, here at the church. For anybody curious, questions, answers about baptism, uh, on the 30th, we're going to have a membership class, 10 o'clock, for those who say, you know what, this should be my church. I want to I wanna plug in here and be part of this body of believers shining the light of the gospel. January 30th, 10 o'clock, God's doing great things in and through this body of believers I praise the Lord for that. The questions at the bottom are this. Who's made a difference in your life? Who's made an eternal difference in your life? Have you thought about that lately? Then what is the next step for you to make that difference in someone else's life? How will you pass that along to someone else and let God use you for his honor and his glory? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for Jesus Thank you for your word, thank you for your spirit, and thank you for your church. Father, we cannot we cannot live in obedience apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray, oh God, that you will help me to live in humble obedience to you and to your word. I pray this for my family and for this church family, that you will take us and use us for your glory wherever we go. Bless our missionary partnerships, Father. And I pray that today as this message goes out, anyone who doesn't know you, that they would have heard the gospel And they would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and just simply cry out, oh God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Will you please save me and give you my heart, my life. Come in, make your home in me. And in the power of the spirit, by your help, I'll live for you all my days. And we will worship you forever for you are worthy in Jesus' name.